Did you do the shadow from the East Coast? Yes, I was uh, from New York. It was always from New York. Yes. Never out here. No. Did you have to take a trip to the Orient to learn how to cloud men's minds? No, I managed to do that without, <laughs> without having to go to the Orient. The shadow never really gave the opening of the show, but there was that shadowy voice that... Yes, well, I did the opening and closing signal, the who knows mm -hmm. what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Do you think that shadow. we could get a 50-cent version of that? Uh, oh, yeah. It won't sound the same because I worked on a special microphone uh -huh. which gave it a, a filtered effect, but I can do it, I okay. mean, as far as that's concerned. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> At 5 p.m., Mutual's most famous program, The Shadow, signed on. The show was in its 11th season on the air in 1948. Andre Baruch handled MC duties, while Grace Matthews played Margot Lane. Brett Morrison was Lamont Cranston. Halloween's episode was called Murder by a Corpse. The season's shadow rating was 13.2. It was Mutual's highest rated show. The driver simply falls asleep at the wheel. And the answer to this accident problem is simply this. When you were playing uh, Lamont Cranston, The Shadow, who <coughs> was your lovely friend and companion, Margot Lane? Well, I had four. Marjorie Anderson was the first, and then Gertrude Warner. Gertrude was actually the last one. Grace Matthews and Leslie Woods. I think Gertrude did it longer than anyone else. And then Agnes Moorhead did it with uh, Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. When I first did it, you know, we were live. Uh -huh. We used to work from the Long Acre Theater in uh, New York. Of course, I don't believe radio shows should be watched, but the audience just seemed to enjoy it. But it's such a small percentage of yeah. the listeners that it uh, doesn't, I guess, destroy the illusion. The forces of law and order is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret, the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Murder by a Corpse. The doctor and the nurse walk through the white silence of the sanitarium corridor and stop before the door of room seven. The doctor peers through the small glass panel in the face of the door and nods to the attendant inside. The door is unlocked, opened, and the doctor and nurse walk in. Morning, Dr. Manchek. Good morning, Rossi. How's our new patient, Mr. Holden? We had a tough time with him in the ambulance last night. 
Dr. Adams had to give him a shot. Dr. Adams' report on the case is on your desk, Dr. Manager. Yes, I saw it, Miss Wagner. Mr. Holden, I'm Dr. Carl Manchek, chief of this institution. You're lying. You hear me? You're lying. You're in with the rest of them. I'm not crazy. This is a trick. You're a spy like the rest of them. Same line all the time, Doc. You can't fool me with that doctor act. I know who you are. You're one of his spies, too. I know. Spies. Same talk all the time. Typical manic depressive fear fantasy. Miss Wagner? Yes, sir. Tell Dr. Adams I wish to see him in my office. I'll be there when I finish examining the new patient. Yes, Dr. Manchin. <laughs> You're lying. You're in with the rest of them. I'm not crazy. This is a trick. <laughs> How was I, Doc? You were quite excellent, Eddie. I know who you are. You're all spies, all of you. How'd you like it, Ted? Terrific, Eddie. You were terrific. Sure. Just say, ask the Doc here. He'll tell you the Doc's an expert. He'll tell anybody that Eddie Holden blew his top. Severe paranoia, Eddie. See, Sid? Paranoia. Paranoia. That's what the expert says. So severe, they got to watch me night and day. And who do they happen to pick out to do the watching? <laughs> Nobody but Sid Rossi. Neat setup, huh? <laughs> Doc, you worked it out like a masterpiece. Naturally, I specialize in uh, cases like yours, Eddie. Yeah, it was a lucky day I made the contact with Sid. I won't forget you two for this. Oh, you can be sure we'll keep your memory quite refreshed. Yeah. A $50,000 bundle is something to remember, ain't it, Doc? Don't worry, you'll get your share. But Doc, did the uh, telegram work? Perfectly. Fenty left on the 815 train. Uh, what about his wife, Claire? She remained, just as you said she would. Eddie, hmm? are you sure Claire knows where the bonds are ditched? Of course she knows. Well, everything's set for tonight. Yeah, all set. I let you out the fire door at the end of the hall. You just got to cut across the lawn to the rear gate. I'll see that the gate is left unlocked. I cover up for you here so as no one gets wise while you're out. The lead pipe said, Jenny. But remember, you must return before daylight. Otherwise... I'll be back. Now, uh, we're gone, huh? Here you are. Eddie, you didn't tell us how you're going to handle that Bentley dame. It all depends, Sid. It all depends on how much Claire Bentley is afraid of a ghost. No, I'll be awfully worried about us. Lamont, we're over an hour late now. Margo, I don't know what made me turn onto this road. From now on, no more shortcuts. Don't look now, but your sense of direction is slipping. Margo, you're a front seat driver. Oh. Well, it's a new rainstorm that blows no road sign. Lamont, what are you... That fork in the road ahead, there's a signpost. Oh, thank heavens. Mason City, ten miles. That's the right. Mount Cleardale Cemetery, two miles. The left. Margo, I leave the choice to you. To the right, of course. When we get to Mason City, we'll call Nora. Come on, that car coming down the road. Set it straight for us. I'd better pull over. Margo, are you all right? Yes. You sure? I'm just shaken. Come on, we'll see how they are on the other car. I was lucky I was able to pull away in time, otherwise our destination would have automatically been changed from Mason City to Mount Cleardale Cemetery. I'll take Manhattan The Bronx and Staten Island 
As night descended on New York on October 31st, temperatures dropped into the upper 40s and an eerie fog rolled in. Police were on alert for mischief as children went trick-or-treating. The Halloween tradition was still seen by many as an act of begging and vandalism. In response, members of the Madison Square Boys Club paraded through the Lower East Side carrying a banner that read, American boys don't beg. The following period has been purchased by the New York State Wallace for President Committee for presenting Henry A. Wallace, who will speak from Dallas, Texas, in behalf of his candidacy for the presidency. Politically, progressive Henry Wallace was making a dent in Harry Truman's campaign. On election day, Truman will still carry the city, collecting 1.6 million votes to Dewey's 1.1 million. But Henry Wallace will receive over 420,000 votes. It's this voter split that will allow Thomas Dewey to narrowly win his home state by 60,000 votes, giving the Republicans 47 important electorates. And tell me what street compares with Mott Street in At home, the mutual broadcasting system's prime time featured news and music. But at 7 p.m., literature's most famous detective took to the air from WOR. This is WOR New York. Seven o'clock by Longines, the world's most honored watch. Product of the Longines Whitnor Watch Company. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present that immortal character created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's story, The Adventure of the Uddington Witch. Yes, Watson. You say you saw a shadow dart into this forest after the murder? I did, Watson. And it was an extraordinary shadow indeed. What do you mean? I saw what was apparently a witch, Watson. A witch? Precisely. The Black Witch of Uddington. The local townsfolk say she still prowls this forest. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Harris. And what adventure are you working on tonight, Doctor? One of the strangest and weirdest in my memoir. Holmes and I always referred to it as the adventure of the Uddington Witch. The adventure of the Uddington Witch. Sounds like something to raise the goosebumps, Doctor. Indeed it is, Mr. Harris. But first, Mr. Harris, I know you have something to say about Clippercraft clothes. Indeed I do. The day you wear your new Clippercraft suit for the first time... Your friends are likely to wonder whether you came into an unexpected... Sherlock Holmes peaked on radio between 1939 and 1946 with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce playing Holmes and Watson. They made 14 films during this time, and their rating climbed to 14.1 in 1942 on NBC. The next year, the entire cast moved to the mutual broadcasting system. They remained for three seasons until Holmes left for ABC. Basil Rathbone stayed with Mutual to star in a new series called Scotland Yard. Nigel Bruce stayed on as Watson while Tom Conway became Holmes. 
When the Semler Company discontinued sponsorship in the spring of 1947, ABC canceled the show. That summer, Clipper Craft Clothing signed on to pay the bills. The program moved back to Mutual with John Stanley as Holmes and Alfred Shirley as Watson. By Halloween 1948, it was airing Sundays at 7 p.m. And now, Dr. Watson, what's this adventure of the Uddington Witch all about? Well, Mr. Harris, it took place in 99, as I recall. Holmes and I were taking our ease at Baker Street one evening when we received an urgent and certainly a bizarre telegram. It came from Uddington, a town in the Shire of Lanark, in the lowlands of Scotland. And it was from a Lord Dunbar, master of Heathercliff Manor. It begged Holmes to come to the manor with all possible speed, stating that a witch had spirited away his mother in the dark of night. A witch? Exactly, Mr. Harris. A witch. Naturally, Holmes's curiosity was immediately aroused, and we resolved to take the noon train the following day. But little did we know, as we read the telegram, the tragic events were already in the making at Uddington on that very same evening. It began with Lord Dunbar in his study. Who's there? Who's there? Bruce? Hester? Why in blazes don't you answer? Didn't I lock my door? Someone has to disturb me. Well, what do you... <laughs> you... Witch of Uddington. I come to bring me the death and the witch's supper. No! Yes, I was in bed when it came. Positively ghastly, too. Seemed to come from Uncle Andrew's study. Oh, yes, Bruce. Please hurry. Something's wrong. Terribly wrong. Come on, Aunt Hester. Let's have a look. Here's the study. Uncle Andrew. Uncle Andrew. Oh, Bruce, there's no answer. Then we'd better look in. The door's open. Like... Good Lord. The witch's revenge. Andrew. Andrew. Oh, it's you, Holmes. I was wondering when you were coming back to the compartment. Our train is due in Eddington very shortly. Unfortunately, my dear Watson, we're too late to help Lord Dunbar. Too late? What do you mean? I've just seen a copy of a Newcastle newspaper brought aboard at the last station. Lord Dunbar was murdered early this morning. What? Foully murdered, Watson. Found dead in his study with a steel spike driven through his heart. A spike? Good Lord. Does this method of murder suggest anything to you, Watson? Why, why no, Holmes. I can't say it does. And you're not up on your lord of demons and witches, my dear fellow. It so happens that the witches, as recently as 200 years ago, were believed to have tortured and stabbed their victims with pins, needles, and sometimes small spikes. Good heavens. It may also interest you to know, Watson, that the history of Lord Dunbar's antecedents gives this macabre affair a rather grim and yet fascinating twist. What do you mean? 
An ancestor of Lord Dunbar's in the late 17th century was one of Whitstam's most mortal enemies. As Chief Justice of the highest court here in the Scottish Lowlands, he hanged many a witch at Gallow Lee, or tied them to a stake on the sands until the tide came up to end their misery. Oh, Holmes, you're not suggesting that this is some kind of witch's revenge? I'm suggesting nothing, Watson, until I have a look at Heathercliff Manor and its remaining inhabitants. As radio audiences changed, Holmes and Watson couldn't keep up. Mutual canceled the series in the spring. ABC revived it for one final season before the last American version of Sherlock Holmes series departed from the air. In 